Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, it is Wednesday. It's hump day. Uh, we're almost to the weekend. And you guys know what we do on Wednesdays. We have some harmony around here, some Tennessee harmony. Uh, Pastor Bobby, Pastor Anthony uh, will join us the second half of the show. Got a terrific conversation on tap with them. Royce White's going to join Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony. We're going to have Royce on via Skype uh, with Pastor Bobby and Anthony. We're going to talk about Elon Musk and his wealth and whether he's the proper protector of freedom of speech. Uh, can we trust Elon Musk? Can't wait uh, for that discussion. Before we do that, I'm going to talk with T.J. Moe and Dave Shannon about a topic I started yesterday, and I'm going to broaden it and expand it, uh, the conversation around Colin Kaepernick and the conversation around uh, the cost of America's embrace of secular values. Uh, so let me get the fire started, and then we'll bring uh, Dave Shannon and T.J. Moe in to fan these flames. And uh, you guys can sit here and be warmed uh, by this fire. Colin Kaepernick's sense of entitlement is a byproduct of America's embrace of secular values. Entitlement is the antithesis of gratitude, the spirit of thankfulness promoted by traditional religious faith. Christians believe Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to. Kaepernick, the former NFL quarterback has spent the last six years advancing the idea that NFL ownership crucified and banished him for protesting white supremacy. Based on his alleged crucifixion, he has developed a religious following that includes fervent disciples. Earlier this week on their I Am Athlete podcast, former NFL stars Brandon Marshall, Chad Johnson and Pac-Man Jones sat at Kaepernick's feet, sought his wisdom, and then preached the gospel of Cap. The gospel of Cap says the NFL owes the quarterback a job. His career must be resurrected to save the souls of racist league owners. Cap is the chosen one. The salvation of his career is critical for the salvation of mankind. The gospel of Cap is consistent with the Bible of secular values popular in America today. As America has embraced secularism, the spirit of the age rejects gratitude and makes the idols of narcissists who nail themselves to crosses. Kaepernick is not the only self-appointed chosen one. His mindset of entitlement is pervasive. Nearly everyone with a social media platform believes they're on and they're an undiscovered God, or they believe they're the debt collector for their idol. An idol is anyone or anything viewed as worthy of blind worship, admiration, or devotion. America is sick with idolatry. The debt Christians believe we owe Jesus has been transferred to the LGBTQ, feminists, transgender, and people of color. Under the guise of seeking social justice, many religious leaders have surrendered to race idolatry, LGBTQ idolatry, the idolatry of women. Idolatry is often referred to by code names such as diversity, inclusion, equity, the matriarchy. The popular Twitter feed, Libs of TikTok, is in the crosshairs 
of the Washington Post and the secular movement because it exposes the depravity of LGBTQ idolaters. Libs of TikTok post videos of LGBTQ teachers explaining the necessity of teaching LGBT sexuality and transgenderism to young children. Tuesday, the Washington Post published a story revealing the identity of the woman who runs Libs of TikTok. The purpose of the story was to intimidate and silence the woman. Libs of TikTok has been highly effective at alerting parents to the gender and sexuality grooming transpiring inside classrooms. Parents are responsible for grooming and educating their children about sex and gender, not school teachers. Let's play a clip here of some of the libs of TikTok videos that have gotten them in trouble. I, I think we have a little collage of, of, of videos that libs of TikTok puts out. One of the things that teachers always do at back to school night and meet the teacher and things like that is they like send home this cute little like meet the teacher thing where it has like a little bio about us, some of our favorite stuff, just so that you know who we are. How do I do that next year? Do I lie and not talk about my marriage? Do I pretend I'm single? Do I invalidate my spouse's stance as a trans femme person? Ready when they've been exposed to information, they're ready to learn about it, whether you think they are or not. And the research says that there is no age too young to talk about pretty much anything. If they know about it, they're ready to learn about it, right? So there is no, you know, what we think is always age appropriate. It is if they don't know about it. That I don't care what the government tells me to do. I am going to do what I think is best for the health and safety. And that includes mental health and safety and emotional health and safety of my kids. I will never let any child come through my classroom feeling unloved or ashamed for who they are. Um, you know, like the LGBT uh, promotional, like uh, this is a safe community kind of stuff, the rainbow stuff all up in my room. And I told them, I'm like, if you look around the room, that should give you an answer to your question. So I did officially tell them. Um, they, of course, went berserk. So instead of teaching social studies today, um, they just asked me a whole bunch of questions about being gay. So I think it was pretty well. Instead of teaching social studies today, which back in my day, that's a, what they called history, he taught, they just had a bunch of questions about him being gay. And, and, and you wonder why parents have a problem. People are coming into classrooms thinking they need to talk about their own personal lives and oh, there's so much to learn from me and my personal life. This is the narcissism that is found within this idolatry of gender, of sexuality that a teacher thinks, you know what, the best use of my kid's time is to hold a discussion about me and my personal life and being gay. And so, again, now I was a cut up in class. If a teacher uh, came to me 
and, and offered up, and we're having a classroom discussion about being gay. What would have come out of my mouth being the classroom cutout, cut up that I was? Hey, is that like having a gerbil in your rear end? That's the kind of question I would have asked. And somehow we think this is what an adult needs to be holding class with a bunch of kids. He, and rather than teach U.S. history, rather than teach arithmetic, rather than teach English, this man wants to hold a conversation about his personal sexual preference, identity, life with a bunch of kids that aren't his? And you wonder why people are upset and think these people have an issue? And, and this is why Libs of TikTok is allowing these people to hang themselves. And so the Washington Post wants to hang Libs of TikTok. I guess they believe in an eye for an eye. Christian ministers. They're responsible for preaching the gospel as spelled out in the Bible. Unfortunately, many members, many ministers have surrendered to the idolatry of race. Their sermons analogize the actions of Jesus to Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Katanji Brown Jackson, or even Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick's delusion isn't difficult to understand. Idolatry breeds entitlement. I want to stop here and just play you a couple of clips from ministers practicing racial idolatry. And there's a, a Twitter feed I follow called Woke Preacher Clips that's just filled with ministers in the pulpit or in other places uh, preaching idolatry, racial idolatry, social justice idolatry, LGBT inclusiveness, all, none of it's biblically sound, but here's just a small taste. They hate us, but they love being like us. I'm gonna walk heavy. That, that, that now, that, that is popular to get full of lips. Yeah, yeah. And you like how sisters look from the front and back now. Because you're going to pay money to get what you can't grow in-house. That what your mama and daddy can't give you, the doctor can give you. I'ma walk, I'ma walk, I'ma walk. That, that you like our brown skin, you like our big lips, you like them wide hips, you like that sunshine from behind, that because you can't have it naturally, you got to go pay somebody to get what the Lord blessed us with. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Ain't that something? Did you get that? He just murdered his brother, and God now has given his judgment, and he's whining about his judgment. He's complaining the punishment is too much. He wants a light sentence. 
He's whining that he's been driven from the face of God, but he wasn't living Coram Deo before the face of God. He's worried that someone might do to him what he has just finished doing to Abel. He's not repenting, he's self-pitying. Listen to me. If you listen to the conversations around racial injustice today, you will hear the voice of Cain. And you will hear people who oppose racial injustice saying, the remedy is way greater than I can bear. How many times you hear that in a conversation about reparations? Oh, that's going to cost too much. You'll hear people say, we, we can't fix this problem or, or that problem because it's, it's too impractical. And on and on it goes. Beloved, it's just the echo of Cain's voice. It's just the echo of a brother refusing to care for the murdered in the streets. You wonder why Cap feels entitled? Look at the culture that he's baked in. Look at what ministers are preaching, this sense of entitlement. This man, the, the last minister, is basically saying he is God and others are God and they've decided what the punishment is for crimes that were committed 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 70 years ago, 150 years ago. Reparations, we're owed this, we're entitled to this. Anybody that's against rep reparations, they're basically Cain from the Bible. It's the voice of Cain. We've decided what we're owed, and if you don't give it to us, you're Cain from the Bible. We wonder why Cap feels entitled. The culture of entitlement fuels Kaepernick's lack of self-awareness. He's completely oblivious that his entitled attitude is the primary reason he hasn't worked in the NFL in the past five seasons. Let me connect the dots for you. What I'm arguing is Kaepernick's delusion and his lack of success in the NFL is because of his bad attitude and his sense of entitlement. Many of you that sit at home complaining and feeling entitled, it's your attitude that explains your lack of success in America. It feels good to blame it on the man, the system, systemic racism, rather than to look in the mirror and say, do I have the right attitude? Racism did not undercut Kaepernick's career. Had Kaepernick embraced a spirit of gratitude, he might have reached all of his NFL aspirations. He certainly would still be employed in the league. NFL ownership is not at the root of Kaepernick's problems. He can't let go of the bitterness he feels about being abandoned by his biological father and mother. His mother gave, gave him up for adoption. His father has never been identified. That's a very difficult scar for any individual to overcome. A Christian spirit of gratitude would compel Kaepernick to focus on the blessing of his adoptive parents, the Kaepernicks. Rather than believing the world wronged him, Kaepernick would believe the world blessed him with two parents who overlooked their race 
un overlook the differences in their race and unconditionally loved a child who was not theirs by birth. That is not Kaepernick's mindset. You could see his lack of gratitude in the way he allowed Netflix to portray his parents in the ridiculous movie about his upbringing. In the movie Colin in Black and White, Kaepernick portrayed his parents and the NFL as racist. He analogized the NFL to a slave plantation, and he insinuated that his parents did not want him to date black women. Here's a little clip of, of Kaepernick comparing the NFL to slavery. Before they put you on the field, teams poke, pride, and examine you, searching for any defect that might affect your performance. No boundary respected, no dignity left intact. legitimately argue that no one has done more for Colin Kaepernick than his parents in the NFL. His attitude suggests that neither his parents nor the NFL have done enough for him. Colin Kaepernick is the embodiment of America's secular values. He's clueless and entitled. That's the Kaepernick explains everything that's wrong with our culture. He's owed something in his mind. This is the antithesis of a Christian mindset. Gratitude should be the center of your foundational belief system. Oh my God, Jesus died on the cross for me. What an incredible sacrifice. I'm so blessed to be breathing air let alone playing in the NFL and earning millions of dollars. We don't have, we've outlawed gratitude. And everything is about how can I be a victim? How can I be bitter at the world? And so people sit here and, and like, how can we fix this? How, how can we make things more equitable, more equal? If there's not some sort of focus on the family, because trust me, that is at the root of Colin Kaepernick's problem. His mama and daddy abandoned him. He has daddy issues. He's mad his daddy didn't have anything to do with him. And that, look, I feel bad for him about that but I feel even more sad that no one has been able to reach Colin Kaepernick and say, look, man, your earthly father failed you, but your father from above did not. He inspired Christian people like the Kaepernicks to look beyond race and love people regardless of their racial differences. The world, God blessed Colin Kaepernick, devoted parents.
who did not have to sacrifice for him. And so, again, if he embraces that mentality, he has a completely different outlook on life. But we wonder why so many kids and so many young people in this generation feels entitled and is running around with bitterness and the world owes me something. We've destroyed, we've obliterated the black family. We've damaged uh, white families and we have uh, placed all of our value and all of our belief. How much do your parents earn? How many, how big is the house? How many cars? Where do you vacation at? And so many parents are in the home and in the relationship, but they're not giving kids what they actually need. They're not discipling kids into the Christian values that made this country great. And so those kids are angry and entitled and think of themselves as God because the parents have worshiped them. And think, oh my God, just let me bring all my sacrifices. Here's a new car. Here's a PS5 and a PS6 and a PS7. And here's the vacation I'm taking you on. And here's uh, the $200 pair of Air Jordans to make you feel uh, cool at school. You keep bringing all these sacrifices to your kids, material things, rather than discipling their mindset in a way that will lead them towards success and toward a healthy outlook so they can eventually take care of themselves rather than having you having to take care of them. It's Colin Kaepernick explains America and explains this generation and, and all the, the values and what's wrong with America. We have abandoned the Judeo-Christian culture that made us great. And we have eliminated gratitude. There's the second thing we've eliminated that comes from Christianity is forgiveness. We're ungrateful and we're unwilling to forgive anybody for anything. Cancel culture and entitlement. Reparations, retribution. That's what we're into. And every day there's a scoreboard. How much retribution did we get? Oh, that person made a mistake. Wrong thing came out of their mouth. Let's go to the scoreboard of public opinion and, and decide how much we should punish this person, how much we should demonize this person, smear this person's reputation. Uh, Dave Shannon, uh, welcome uh, back to the show. Um, mm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to start here. I, I think that America's moral compass has been completely undermined uh, by this secular culture uh, that we have embraced. And it's creeped into the church. It's creeped into every aspect of American life. Um, 
I, I, I'm asking person, I already, I, this is a rigged question because I already know, you're, I know you agree with me, but uh, can you expound on my point? No, I can't expound on your point because you basically lit everything on fire and bring me out here to dust everything up and put it in the trash can. This is part of why I'm upset with you, Jason. I told you earlier, I was going to tell you. I'm upset because what am I supposed to say after that? Literally, what am I supposed to You Literally, if this was a football game, you threw the touchdown, you threw the ball into the end zone and ran into the end zone and caught it yourself. I'm just here to celebrate with you. That's all I'm here to do. Um, I, I do think, though, uh, there is – you've hit – when you said forgiveness, for sure, you're definitely right about the forgiveness. But there's one thing even in front of that that I think is the the culmination of everything you were just saying, which is idolatry. Jason, idolatry is at the heart of this. Idolatry is a form of atheism. And this is what's amazing about this. You know, you talk so much about fatherhood, and, and that is so necessary because idolatry seeks to remove God the Father from the creation and birth a nation of bastards that have Mother Earth as their, 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 their mother and no God. And so what you end up getting is a nation full of bastards that have no connection to fatherhood. And so from that, you get a whole bunch of ungratefulness. So you look at a bastard and you look at a kid who has a father and you say, well, how do they react in the world? How do they engage with the world? Well, if a kid who has a father has had someone who connects him to the history of the world. God the Father, he made Adam. You have a connection through Abraham. You have that connection to the second Adam, Jesus, who has saved us and brought us to live consistent in the world with reality. That is your lineage, son. And I am the one here giving you all the history that our ancestors and forefathers have gathered in serving this true God. And you give it to your son as a father. And your son says, thank you, dad. He's full of gratitude. He's full of gratefulness because he has had so much of a lineage that he's connected to that he doesn't have to try and figure out this thing by himself. A bastardized kid, a bastardized nation, one that doesn't have God as the father, has now himself as God. And everything that he does, he thinks he should be praised for because he's put himself in the chain link of creation. He is the most valuable thing. He is the most praiseworthy thing. He is the most, um, he is the thing that should be worshiped by everyone else. And so I, I, we can't, we can't misunderstand how important it is that idolatry brings this bastardized, um, uh, form of atheism into the world where we don't have a father. And the second thing that you hit at Jason, when you played that libs of, uh, not libs of TikTok, but, um, woke preacher clips, Yes. I, I almost yeah. I almost lost my mind, bro. And here's why. The Bible talks about the fact that how can they believe if they haven't heard? And then how can they hear on whom they should believe if they haven't had a preacher? And how do you have a preacher except he be sent, right? The preachers have forgotten the message that they are heralds of. Preachers are sent by God with a message to the world of forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. That means that no matter what kind of person you have been, even a bastardized kid, you can have a father. You can have your sins forgiven. You don't have to be uh, a pornographer anymore. You don't have to be a murderer anymore. You don't have to be a pedophile anymore. Jesus forgives sins. But pastors have forgotten that message 
and don't believe that message so much so that when the the woke culture comes in and brings up sins and shames, they don't know what to do with it. And the woke culture grabs that sin and shame and shoves it under the nose of pastors and like, man, that is bad. I don't I don't know what to do with that sin. I don't know what to do with that shame. And pastors are supposed to say, wait, wait, wait. Jesus died for those sins. He died for that shame. So we don't have to be under condemnation of sin and shame anymore. There were real atrocities done in the world. We really did have slavery. We really did treat people inhumane. That is a reality. We're not running from that. But what we really need to say is Jesus died for that sin. He forgives that sin and we don't have to live underneath that shame. And when pastors have forgotten that message, what they've put us in a place of is to be bastards without a savior. And Kaepernick's biggest problem to me is that he has had a chance to be rescued. Adoption is at the very heart of the message that pastors should be preaching. We have been adopted through Christ Jesus because the father sent him to die on behalf of our sins. And when we forget that message, when Kaepernick forgets that message, the best thing that could have happened to him. Yeah, your father left you. Yes, you lost a family in that way. But God, like you said, Jason, has sent a family for you to be adopted into in exactly the same way that I have sent my son to adopt the world to myself. So, Dave, only because, you know, I know you are deep, more deeply involved in the church world, traditional church world than I am. You studied this probably more closely than I have. How, what happened to Christian ministers in terms of how did they get so deeply involved in idolatry? I guess they're just men just like everybody else. Churches just like they're just filled with human beings just like everybody else. But, but when I watch this and, and see how pervasive it is in ways that I don't even think the ministers are aware. I don't know if the congregation is aware. It's like, I, I just see rampant idolatry, racial, gender. They, they don't even understand this whole inclusive movement is, is like, well, being inclusive is more important than sticking to the word of God. And, and, yeah. so, and some of that I could understand is just maybe driven by financial pressures. And so, They'll take anybody willing to tithe, anybody to give a public offering. You know, it's just come as you are, and, and I'm not going to say anything that will make you uncomfortable as long as you tithe or give to the public offering. But how did we get here with the church, with cl- the clergy, with ministers? Real simple. Faithlessness and shame. There's a verse, Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And you're like, well, why would you be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Jason, the, the reason that you would be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ is because it's a scandal. And pastors don't want to have to proclaim that scandal in a world where we cancel each other. The scandal of the gospel is what I was talking about earlier, Jason, is that people can be saved. Jesus literally saves pedophiles so that they can be made new. Jesus literally saves homosexuals so that they don't have to be homosexuals anymore. That's a scandal in the current culture. It's a scandal to say that a murderer can be forgiven 
and have his sins washed away. And not only that, Jason, but that he can be brought into the culture and love just like he never had committed murder. Just as if they have never sinned. And you said this in your monologue when you were talking. You said people don't want to believe in forgiveness anymore. And why? Because it's a scandal. Forgiveness is a real scandal. You mean to tell me that you are going to forgive the person and the family and the lineage who enslaved you? As if you guys could be family? No, no, no. We want blood. We want death. We want a scapegoat. And they don't preach the kind of gospel that makes the world um, uh, upset because they're afraid of the fallout of the scandal. And that's why Paul had to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because that very truth of the gospel that Jesus saved sinners, people who should be dead, is the very power of the gospel, the scandal of it. And that's why you don't hear power in preaching anymore because of that scandal not being proclaimed. That's why that's what's happened, Jason. It's the shamefulness of the gospel that these pastors don't want to preach. The other last little thing that I want to discuss with you, Dave, is the attack on the libs of TikTok is very enlightening to me because I, what, what I think libs of TikTok, that Twitter feed that just basically lets the LGBTQIA plus silent P community uh, talk and just says, here's a mirror, here's what they say. It, it What they're really upset about, and again, because I think there's a lot of people who are like, hey man, uh, your same-sex attraction or whatever your sexual uh, identity preference is, uh, you know, I'm gonna swallow my tongue on that. But I think where libs of TikTok, why they've been so effective is they've actually shown the depravity of this movement in terms of they're not satisfied with people shutting their mouth about their sexual decisions. They want your kids to embrace that lifestyle as early as possible. Because when I watch these videos and hear the teachers, I'm like, you want to talk to kids about sex and gender? You want to talk to them about your personal life? I'm just, that's depravity, that's grooming, that's someone whose life is so out of balance, they clearly don't have enough friends or family to talk about their personal life with, so they want to do it with little children. I, I just, I think Libs of TikTok is exposing the depravity of LGBT grooming. Yeah, n- not just that it's exposing the depravity of LGBT grooming, but it's also exposing the ignorance of parents. Um, The fact that we didn't know what was going on in the classrooms and we didn't know what was going on in the culture community and we didn't know what was going on in education. And it's exposed just how much we've abdicated our um, our parenthood and fatherhood and motherhood as it relates to our children. Jason, also, here's the thing that I think is it's proved Liz of TikTok have done something really brilliant. They're not just exposing the ideas that the liberals have. They're exposing the kind of future that they have and that they believe should be. We we don't think in the future. We don't think about generational um, progression. We've forgotten all that stuff. We're so 
immersed in immediacy. I want it now. We want a microwave culture, a microwave um, type of society and in, in, in return. And, but the libs of TikTok have shown that the liberals have been at this for far longer than we thought. They've been in education, working their their slow march through the institutions longer than we've expected to the point now that we are actually seeing what kind of future that they have for our children. And we're seeing what the future would be if they get their way. And so I don't think that it's I think it's exposed two parts, our abdication and the fact that we don't have a future for our kids the way that we probably should have. And so the libs of TikTok are saying, well, we do. Or the, the people that are running libs of TikTok have shown that teachers actually do have a plan for your children and that they are committed to it a thousand percent and they're willing to do stuff that we're not willing to do. One of the clips you play said, I will go against the government to bring forth this future, to bring forth this reality. Jason, we're not even willing to do that for our own kids. And these people who are who have our kids have already said, I will lay down my life for the future and the reality that I want. That's what I think that we need to walk away with and say, oh, my goodness, God, forgive me. I have not been thinking about my progeny as well as these horrible people have been. Mm. Thank you, Dave. I got to go. I got to get to TJ Mo. Uh, I want to tell you guys about my friends at Good Ranchers. If you haven't seen the price of meat lately, you're in for a pretty nasty surprise. Inflation has effect, affected a lot of different areas around this country, and your local grocery store is no exception. That's why you need to see our friends over at Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers only sources and sells 100% American meat. You order it, and they send it right to your door. It's just that simple. And guess what? You can beat inflation with Good Ranchers. Once you subscribe, your best price is locked in for life. Get your $30 discount on prime steaks and better than organic chicken. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless to save on the quality you've been looking for. Good Ranchers takes the guesswork out of the grocery store by sourcing everything from local farms and shipping it to your door. Use my code fearless and enjoy your box of 100% American meat and your $30 savings. Order now to combat inflation with Good Ranchers. American meat delivered. I got to tell you, good ranchers, what good fearless soldiers need to do, support the people and the sponsors supporting us. You guys know what to do. All right, uh, TJ Moe. X. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to roll up uh, to St. Louis and bring in our man T.J. Moe, the Show Me Kid. Uh, focus a bit more in on Colin Kaepernick uh, with T.J. T.J., uh, you know, football star at the University of Missouri. Uh, a cup of coffee in the NFL with the Patriots and the Rams. Uh, someone that, you know, knows the football world and football culture and uh, influence Gary Pinkle, a great college football coach. Uh, had some access to Bill Belichick uh, with the Patriots. TJ, you know, my largest contention about Colin Kaepernick is that he's blaming the NFL uh, for problems that I think are a byproduct of his secular values, that secular values failed Colin Kaepernick, not the NFL. If this guy had the right attitude and mentality, he would still be playing in the NFL. I don't think he would have been any type of NFL star, 
but he would have had a long career and made a lot more money. His values failed him, not the NFL. I think that's probably true. Um, and you could argue that his values led him to focusing on other things, which torpedoed his career. And so he wasn't very good. I mean, his final year, he was pretty bad. Uh, the team, I think he went one game as a starter, maybe two. So it's not like his, he was performing at a top tier level six years ago when he exited the league. I think Colin is the ultimate representation of exactly what you said. It is America's downfall. The United States population has become so wealthy, so narcissistic, so selfish that we have zero perspective. A Gallup study conducted in 2013 found that the median world income is under $10,000. Colin Kaepernick's worth $20 million. So, you know, it's like scientists have estimated, I have no idea if this is true or not, but this was the quick Google search I did before the show that there's been 100 billion people that have lived on this earth. And we today live in the most prosperous country, in the most technologically advanced time in history, with the highest quality of life, and the poorest person in the United States very likely has a higher quality of life than the richest people that ever existed just a few hundred years ago. So there's the zoomed out perspective on just how ridiculous this entitlement idea is. And it is ridiculous. But I, I actually think it's deeper than that. You mentioned the secular values, right, which would be in direct opposition of our Christian values. Uh, the idea of entitlement is I'm alive, give me stuff. Okay, I deserve them, but they never explain why they deserve them, right? They just say it's a, it's a basic human right. Well, they can't tell you why it's a basic human right. The truth is you don't deserve it. And guys like you and I with a biblical worldview, we wake up in the morning and we say, I don't deserve anything. I'm a sinner that from the Bible I read, after you were sinning, that there was, it was, there was a war between God and the earth because of the sin. Right. It's like God used to blow up full cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, people that were living in ultimate corruption were not in a good place with God. That's why, you know, in the Bible, sometimes this is misconstrued when when God said, you know, peace on earth and everybody's like, yeah, we don't have world peace. That's not he wasn't talking about peace amongst people. He was talking about peace between God and earth. And that's why Jesus came. We had now an open window because we had an ultimate sacrifice. And so, you know, I, I, the question is. Why do people feel so entitled? Okay. Aside from the lack of perspective, it is the secular values taking over. In 1998, church membership was 70%. Today it's 50%. Amongst millennials is 42%. And one out of every three millennials is an atheist. And so it's getting worse the way uh, Gallup uh, millennials was anybody born after 1980. And so those are many of the people, you know, Colin Kaepernick is a millennial. He fits right in with the vast majority of these, uh, atheists. So Christians know our value comes from God. Genesis 1:27 says we are made in the image of God. We know he sent his son so that we did not have to spend eternity away from him. We are so deeply loved by our creator. That's what gives us our value. The godless search for value comes in the way of popularity and money and political impact and legacy, all things that do not matter. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, it is basically 12 chapters of him telling you exactly how worthless everything is and how meaningless pleasures, riches. He even talks about wisdom and how worthless wisdom is because the 
ultimate idea of what matters is your relationship with God. And that's the only thing that's going to provide you with meaning, value, fulfillment. Much of the entitlement attitude is a search for someone else to affirm your value. And so it is, hey, I'm on the same level as you. I'm good, right? Give me stuff. And so, you know, they have no standard of value because they're not getting it from God. They don't know where it comes from. So they look around to try to create all of their own stuff, their approval. This is what we've seen. You brought this up with Dave in the gay community, in the LGBTQIA plus P movement, right? They went from leave us alone, 2004, the first state legalized gay marriage. Just leave us alone. We just want to be equal. You know, stop messing with us to, but you do approve, right? Like, don't just leave us alone. You actually approve of our behavior. We're, we're good, right? You don't look down on us to, I need a pride week. I probably need a pride month. And why don't we have LGBTQIA plus P day at the ballpark? We should be celebrated. And the reason being is because they have a God-shaped hole in their heart that they can't get filled. And they thought just some validation would be good. Just, just say we're okay. Now it's turned into celebration. They, have, they cannot find their value and so this, their, their idea of entitlement is we need to show proof of their value every single day. This, this, uh, their entire pursuit comes from insecurity for a hole that God is supposed to be filling that they've rejected. So, and TJ, you, you, there's nothing you said that I can disagree with, but, but one of the arguments I've been making for a long time is that even for non-believers, I've been trying to explain to non-believers that a Judeo-Christian culture benefits even non-believers. And so I'm saying if we're in this Judeo-Christian culture, let's say Kaepernick is an atheist. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if he is. I certainly know the values he seems to be espousing seem like that they don't come from God and they seem like consistent with an atheist. But if he were in a culture that was Judeo-Christian, people on ESPN, people in corporate media, people in the, the culture would be saying to Colin Kaepernick, hey man, uh, your problems start with you. Don't, this thing of, hey, it's that guy's problem, it's the NFL ownership, it's this, it's that, it's all these, uh, all this finger pointing that Kaepernick and all the social justice warriors wanna do. The culture should be pushing back and saying, hey man, our culture is everything starts here and all solutions start here with the man in the mirror or woman in the mirror. And, and so th that's where I'm just like, our culture is so out of whack, mm -hmm. people don't even think to look at themselves if they have a problem. They look to blame someone else. If I don't have the house that I want, in the zip code that I want, the job that I want, the success on the job that I want, no way it's me, no way. It's got to be that person in that office over there, this coworker at the next cubicle over there. It's gotta be systemic racism. It's got, it, it can't be, me, I've done, I'm perfect, what are you talking about? I feel perfect, uh, my mom and dad told me I was perfect, my grandmama told me I was perfect, the, the culture is telling me that I'm perfect, and no one is willing to say to Colin Kaepernick, other than a few out, those of us that get run out of corporate media, 
uh, are willing to say, hey, man, your whole mindset is wrong. This world owes you. I mean, my father and my father was not a religious person, but he was a reflection of a Christian view of the world. Uh, and it's a, don't nobody feel sorry for you. This world don't owe you nothing. And, and one of my greatest quotes that everybody in my family has heard me say, pity don't pay no bills. That mm -hmm. is what that's my number one quote in the world. Because I, I got some relatives that came from some bad situations. I'm like, pity don't pay no bills. What you going to do about it? Because uh, mm -hmm. that is the only solution. And I, Cap wants to be paid in pity. And I look at the rest of American culture and it wants to be paid in pity. I think that's true. And how that's come about is the victimhood status, right? Like if, if you actually believe that when you wake up, you're oppressed and you can't make it, then you have to start demanding things. And so we've, we've gone down this road really. I mean, I don't know when the victimhood idea really started to take hold, but in the Bible, you are not a victim. The, the biggest victim in the history of the world is Jesus Christ. And he didn't stand up and say, don't treat me this way. He said, I will take this because you need me to. And so uh, I think Kaepernick has been casted at, as the victim and continues to play. And again, this, I, I think it always goes back to Christianity because I agree the culture, if it were to reflect the Judeo-Christian values, could still succeed. God ha has put laws in place for people to succeed and, and plenty of non-Christians succeed all the time. But it does always go back to Christianity at its root because the Bible is all about individualism. It doesn't talk about victim, victimhood at all. You know, it's like, uh, I think the entitlement idea of, of people walking around saying, you owe me these things comes from the victimhood, wherever that came. And we've shifted away from the Christian values. So how can a culture, a culture that has moved away from God, how can it still maintain God's values? And that, that's where we are. Nobody's, only half the people in the country are in the church. And that's that. Look, that's church members. Uh, how many of those people are actually in the church all the time? You know, people that are actually following the the woke preachers that you had uh, up on the screen. They're not following the same Jesus I am. Their God is race. And so I'm just saying just because people say, you know, I don't know if Colin says he's a Christian or not. These preachers would tell you they're Christians. I'm telling you, they're not following the same Jesus I am. So you can't cultivate a culture with, that will create and produce good outcomes that come from godly principles without actually following God to guide you through those principles. And look, God wrote the Bible, uh, you know, it is, it is divinely inspired and it's not a document. If, if you could read it one time and it was just a history book, then it wouldn't be such a big deal. But the idea is those principles guide us through all of the new things that come about every single day. So you and I will come across something new. This LGBTQIA plus P movement is probably, you know, I don't know what it was like in Sodom Moore. It's new for us. And so you and I are looking to the Bible to figure out how to maneuver through these things. Imagine trying to maneuver through this world and get in and reflect a Judeo-Christian value system without actually looking at those values, because that's what we're asking him to do. Last thing, as it relates to Kaepernick, you're a father. Uh, I think uh, if, if we, this is still a byproduct of our, the failure of Christian culture, but the, the 
Kaepernick's issues stem from his bitterness, in my view, 100% speculation on my part, but in my view, from the rejection of his biological parents. Mother gave him up for adoption. I'm not sure if anybody actually knows who his father is, uh, biological father. He's bitter about it. He, 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 that's what drives him to think the world owes him something. He was denied his biological father. We, 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 we love to talk about it with young women uh, involved in strip or the sex industry. Oh, they got daddy issues. Mm-hmm. Well, these young boys have the same daddy issues. And, 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 it, and again, I, I go back to what I said today and what I said in my fire starter, that if Kaepernick had a spirit of Christianity, a spirit of gratitude, he would look at the world and say, whoo, look what God provided for me, these adoptive parents. Isn't this amazing? Look what the sacrifices they did for me and the things they overlooked. And there was probably even some scorn in their own community. Why y'all adopting this half black kid? You know, who knows how their entire family felt about it? Man, what an amazing blessing. And and again, it, it would subside or limit the pain of being rejected by his biological parents. And if he really fully embraced it, it, it would erase that pain and he would really know like, he's one of the most blessed creatures on the planet. Two people, two adults, brought him into their home and loved him like he was one of their own kids. And instead, he's so bitter, he takes a dump on them in that movie and, 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 and co- concocts some story that uh, they didn't want him dating black girls and that you know they didn't know how to fry chicken uh, and, and you know, there were all these just things they didn't know what to do with him. They didn't know how to get his hair braided and had to go take, you know, and, and I just like, what, who could do, there's no way, because there are no perfect parents. And, mm. and, and, and I was blessed probably, other than Mary, my mother was probably the most perfect mother there was, uh, but she made mistakes. But I, I certainly don't focus on those. I celebrate the great things she did because, again, other than Mary, I don't know if there was a better mother than my mother. I, I just couldn't understand how this guy uh, could do that to, to, these, to these parents that he was blessed with. I just think he has daddy issues. I think you are exactly right. Um, there's a great book. I'm trying to, as we sit here, look up the, uh, the author. It's called Wild at Heart. Um, The idea is it it talks about the role a father plays in affirming his son. He's our first introduction into God, right? Uh, We have a need for somebody to come in in the clutch for us, right? When you're a baby, obviously mothers nurture you and such, but dad is the provider. He's the hunter. He is helping you stay alive. Dads do show us, sort of like what Dave said, that's, that's our extension into Jesus. You're our first instinct. And so, uh, you know, it's like we have this natural longing for someone to come in in the clutch force. And that's what Jesus did, right? When all hope was lost, he rose again on the third day. And so your dads do that oftentimes by being there for you. You can't do it. Dad figures it out. He takes that third job. He makes sure you can stay alive. He makes sure to take care of your mom and keeps your family together. And so he, uh, 
He touches you in a way that other people cannot do. Your father touches your life and shows you manhood. You know, it's like uh, the way I would say it, there's a vault in your life. Okay. And your father is the only one that has the key to open that vault for manhood. Okay. And so if you don't unlock it at a young age and your dad who needs to be affirming you, telling you, yes, you're doing this exactly right. Your first introduction to manhood is telling you that you are a man and you can grow up and become this guy to ultimately take care of your family. The first person that ever embodied that for you has to be the one to tell you that that's true. And if you don't get that, you spend the rest of your life running around telling everybody that you're a man while you search for that key. And I think that's where Colin Kaepernick is. He's never found the key to the vault of manhood in his own life to open his own mind to believing that he's a man. And so I've thought this about dads for a long time. The biggest issue we've seen this, not just, we talk about the black community all the time, not having dads, a single motherhood rate, 70 to 75%. It's grown substantially in the white community too. It's at 25% now. I mean, we're in a different galaxy of dads not being around. Well, we wonder why there's no men around. It's because dad's not there to affirm that your manhood exists and you're doing it right. You can't get that from your mom. As, as hard as your mother tries to tell you that you're great, I can hear the same thing from my mom, who I love. I adore my mother. But it will come differently from my dad because he's the one that's doing it. He's the man that's providing. He's the guy that's showing me exactly how to do this, and I'm holding the family together. And so I feel bad for the guys who don't have fathers in their lives to do that because you spend a lot of your life trying to look for that. God can fill that hole, but it's a heck of a lot harder than your dad showing you this is manhood. Now I'm going to pass you on to God, and he's your father. TJ, I, I want to end on this note. I didn't plan on asking you this, but I, I, I want to. I think you're the perfect person to ask. You, you go back, and I think you've seen the excerpt from the interview that Kaepernick did with Brandon Marshall, mm. Chad Johnson, uh, Pac-Man Jones. I, did you actually have you seen any of that video uh, where they ask him a question? Yeah, oh, yeah, the clips. And so, I mean, one of the things I thought in watching that, and it really, visually, if you go back and look at this podcast, I Am Athlete Podcast, they have basically encircled Kaepernick, and it's almost like, if you took a picture, it's almost like they're sitting at Kaepernick's knee, and it just comes across to me like they're worshiping him, hmm. and he's imp imparting his, the, the wisdom, the gospel of Kaepernick to them, and, and no one's willing to ask him any tough questions. No one's willing to challenge anything he really says. And so I'm looking at three grown, really successful, all three of those guys, Brandon Marshall, Chad Johnson, and Pac-Man Jones, all had far more successful NFL careers than Colin Kaepernick. But they're sitting there as if he's Jesus and he has wisdom to impart to them rather than them having wisdom to impart to him. They were the successful NFL players. He wasn't. I, I guarantee if I went and looked it up between them, they prop between those three guys, they probably got 10, 12 Pro Bowl appearances. Kaepernick mm. has zero. They've all made more money, longer career. Just the visual of that is disconcerting to me. And I would say to Brandon Marshall, who I'm friendly with, Chad Johnson, well, I, a lot of times I like Chad Johnson, Pac-Man Jones, I don't know him, but I got respect for what he accomplished in his career. I would love to ask them, why are y'all sitting here in deference 
to the guy who failed at what you all had success doing? It's a great question. I think athletes after their careers, particularly if they had long, successful careers like these guys, go on the same mission searching for hope and purpose after their careers that the rest of us do, you know, whenever we ended, you and I went and found our careers, uh, after college, but a lot of these guys are doing it later and they're just searching for something. I actually, I don't know that they're doing anything more than trying to get views for their YouTube. And I'm serious about that. I don't know that it's something that they've thought through whenever it comes down to is there more to what this athlete's doing? I always err on no, because I don't think athletes think things through very well. When I was an athlete, I didn't think things through very well. That's how I know this. And I was, look, I was a scholar athlete at Mizzou on my football team. I was one of the smarter guys and I still didn't think things through very well. So I think, you know, maybe there's a subliminal idea of, you know, the, the media has propped him up and, and he's this guy and being a martyr is a bigger deal than what we did, even though we succeeded. Maybe that's subliminally, tr subliminally true in their heads. And so that's why they treated it that way. But honestly, when those three guys got together, I guarantee you the conversation was no more than this. Hey, bro, I bet we'll get a lot of views if we can get Cap on the show. Thank you, TJ. I got to go. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag. Shop blazemedia.com slash fearless. Tennessee Harmony with Royce White and the Pastors. Next. All right, welcome back. Time for some harmony, some Tennessee harmony. Uh, Pastor Anthony Walker, Pastor Bobby Harrington from Renew.org. Renew uh, you know, you guys know these guys. They don't need an introduction at this point. They're with me every Wednesday. Uh, we're going to add in another wrinkle uh, this week. I think last week we had TJ Moe. This week, Royce White's going to join us uh, from Minneapolis. Royce said something very interesting last week about Elon Musk that I wanted to get you guys' reaction to. I'm gonna play the clip first of what Royce said last week, and then I'm gonna let Royce kind of expound on that, and then we'll have a discussion about issues related to Elon Musk and his proposed takeover of Twitter. Let's start with the clip. Again, if you don't believe in God, I have skepticism about your belief in freedom because freedom in the American context comes from Christian faith. It comes from the idea that there are natural human rights that are given to you by a, by a creator and an authority higher than man or government. And when you don't have that, that, that idea or that framework of heaven, when that collapses, like it has for Elon Musk, and I'm not sure if, if he's coming back into faith or what, but, but he's an atheist. And he's very open about that. And so I question any atheist's ability to to instill a, a moral health or a moral correction for something that has become blatantly immoral and, and, and working in effect for evil spiritual forces. Uh, Royce, I apologize. I'm going to have to have you condense that clip because these guys had problems with their earpiece and couldn't hear it. But so if you could just restate that a little bit in a condensed version and kind of get our conversation rolling. Yeah, well, I just want to lay out a few things because I've been thinking about this Elon Musk situation over the, over the past few days, just in general. Basically, what I said there was I have real skepticism about anyone who is an atheist's 
uh, ability to bring moral into the immoral. Um, I, I have to lay this out in, in three layers, uh, if I can. Uh, the spiritual, the political, or geopolitical, and the individual. Um, because I got a lot of pushback or feedback, you could say, after that clip surfaced and people saying, well, Christians sin too, or you know, everybody who believes in God uh, doesn't do good things. So I, I want to lay this out. Um, we are living in a time, and, and we are going to be in a time going forward where there are three groups of people across the world, people who believe, people who don't believe, people who say they believe, but have little faith or no practice. Okay, that, that, that's, that's the spiritual. And there are going to be people that don't believe, who do great things, and come to believe through that process. Elon Musk may be one of those people. There are also going to be Christians, Jews, Muslims, people who do believe or say they believe, but take the Lord's name in vain. That's the spiritual. Let's t touch on the political quickly. There are four ways. Let's just assume that the globalist agenda is satanic in nature, which I believe it is. And many people who believe, believe that that agenda is satanic in nature. There are four ways that they can bring about the authoritarian goal that they have. The first is plague. We saw that tested with the pandemic. The other is violence through civil disobedience, civil uprising or, or war. We've seen that test run. There's also one that isn't talked about much, which is currency collapse. Okay, and that's one that's on the horizon now and will result in famine. The fourth one is all out technocracy, the dystopian 1984 future that George Orwell predicted. And it's explicitly satanic if you look at its tenets. Elon Musk is somebody who we who, who's done impressive things, but it's not yet clear whether those things are good. That verdict's still out. But what we can do is look at his past and understand where he is coming from. He is an atheist. He is the, the sine qua non of technocratic revolution. Look at how he acquired his wealth. Tesla's rise is uh, connected to or in conjunction with uh, an EV environmental climate change initiative. And he's sitting in the middle of the two world superpowers nuclear superpowers, China and the United States. Who do we believe gets that kind of access to world governments? I'll tell you who. Uh, and, and is romanticized as this public figure to revere as, as Elon Musk is put out there like an Iron Man. Um, saints, people with, with very um, transcendent spiritual, social intelligence and health or national security agency assets. So this guy is either a saint or a spook. And my view is that it, it, I'm leaning towards him being a spook. OK, he's completely in on this globalist agenda. And, and we have to pray. We have to pray that somebody who has cautioned technocracy the way Elon Musk has finds God in Christ on this journey and becomes a bulwark for freedom. That's my that's my take. Mm. <laughs> That's why I love Delano. But that's also why I love you guys, because you can handle what he just put on the table, I hope and think. Uh, so mm -hmm. I don't know your take on Elon Musk, a guy this rich, trying to basically take control of the global network for political discourse. 
let you go first. Uh, you know, I, I want to hit back on what Roy said uh, at the beginning, which was his questioning of could someone who is godless, someone who's an atheist, could they bring this? I'm not expecting Elon to bring a godly morality piece to it, but could God use someone like Elon Musk? God can use whomever he wants to use. Uh, he used Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> he used Paul. He used me. I mean, he's used us. So he can. Um, and, and biblically, what I look at with what God uses, sometimes God has actually allowed an evil king or an evil power to exist to bring his people back to him. And so to some degree, if we follow down that particular line with the way society is going, with the way uh, people are turning more and more away from God, this could be an avenue that God is saying, OK, y'all want to have your party, have it. But you're going to need me in the end. You're going to have to come back to me in the end. So could it be? Sure. Uh, but my trust is not in Elon. My trust is in God. Can we trust Elon Musk, Bobby? Um, I don't really trust anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> not like that. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I, I think I, I agree with what Anthony said. You know, there are people who are not uh, believers in Jesus uh, or believers in God who still do great things. Sometimes atheists are super moral. It's kind of like they're going to show God how good they are by being moral. So I just think we have to acknowledge that. But I think that maybe there's a, a deeper thing going on here, and that is something that we always talk about on the show, and that's the Judeo-Christian foundations of our culture. Is Elon Musk going to take us back to that? I don't think so. But will Elon Musk, does he want, from what he said, for us to uphold the way things were maybe you know, 15 years ago in terms of the free exchange of ideas? Well, I think he wants that. I think that's the world he grew up in, and that's a world where he thrived, and he wants us to go back to a world where, he said in a tweet yesterday, you know, if you have the extremes, uh, the 10% of extremists on the far right and the 10% of extremists on the far left, if they both don't like what you're doing, you're probably doing the right thing. <laughs> so we kind of cast that vision of what he wants so that everybody can talk about it. Uh, but uh, to cut to the chase, I don't think it's going to affect in a positive way. I think it can help, but I don't think it's the root problem that we're facing today. What do you say to, to I have a contention or, or or a belief that flawed people and and non-believers benefit from a Judeo-Christian culture and that non-believers are starting to understand even though that they don't believe that Hey, a Judeo-Christian culture actually works best for me as opposed to this direction we're headed down. And so I guess I'm, I'm trying to think, hey, Elon Musk might be very pragmatic and understand, oh, I'm not a believer, but man, that culture there. Because I, I came up with that conclusion mostly based on Bill Maher, the comedian. Yeah, yeah. He's committed atheist, has made movies, again, but 
I watch his show and I see someone starting to understand like, whoa, you know, it was better <laughs> when mm-hmm. Christian values were actually dry. I was more free then mm-hmm. than I am now in this very secular, godless world that we're creating. Can they be that pragmatic? Well, as, as you're pointing out, it, sometimes it's the perspective on atheists. We think that just because a person may not believe in God, that they're just evil and set to destroy everything. Sometimes, as Bobby said, they may have a moral bent on life and morality can only take you so far. You know, it'll keep you out of jail, but it won't keep you out of hell. You know, morality uh, can help kind of community situation. But in the end, it's God's design for the world, for his way, his purpose, his principles to rule the world. That's how God wants it to be. And so if you're pointing out, if non-believers, if people that don't even recognize, I said, wait a minute, but this works a little bit better the way it, it is under God, then God be the glory. Uh, Royce, I want to bring you back in and see, is there anything said that you want to respond to or follow up on? Well, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I, I agree with what was said for the most part. Um, I think that the historical trajectory of American society in the West post-World War II suggests to us that this secular humanist movement, while at the individual level, may uh, yield moral people as an initiative. It's been used as a front to usher in satanic uh, um, uh, impetus. And it's on the move and it's on the move fast. So th- th- this secular humanist idea, we have to understand at the geopolitical level, is the conduit to transhumanism. Th- th- that's their argument, is that there is a future uh, that man can bridge the gap of existential destruction through technology. And, and Elon Musk is the linchpin of that movement as a, as a public figure. And, and look, there are people who don't believe in God who do much better in God's eyes, I would say, than Christians or Catholics. I mean, we have a serious crisis in the Catholic Church, which you can, you know, you could say is validated in, in the amount of time that prayer is needed these days to relieve people of demonic possession uh, as one example. But at large or, or by and large, the individual has become disconnected from a spiritual health that can stand against the momentum of the globalism hiding in the shadows of secular humanism. And I don't think that we should be naive to that. I think we have to understand that if people act like they believe in God, if they if they, they uh, recognize a Judeo-Christian value structure, are they really atheists then? See, my argument is that they're just playing a semantic uh, game with God and, and that you know, that's between them and God. But I count them as believing in God. If you act as though God exists, uh, you are with us. You know, whether or not you want to admit it is, is something completely different. But there are people out there in this secular humanist technocratic movement that explicitly hate God. Mm. Good points. The I, I want to ask you two guys this just how because Elon Musk is worth. 250 to 300 billion dollars, richest man in the world. And so just that amount of wealth makes me suspicious of Elon Musk. I, you know, Matthew, I think 1924, I the camel, blah. And so what, what should, 
when, when I hear that someone's that wealthy or just wealth in general, what does the Bible say about men of or women of great wealth? Uh, are they more prone towards a satanic arc than the more financially humble? Well, I think that when you're really wealthy, it makes you depend on yourself and you depend on your money. Jesus tells the story of a man, things were going well, and he thought, man, I've got a lot here. I'm going to build a bigger barn. Uh, so he builds the bigger barn, and then God comes to him and says, you know, you're foolish. You've invested in this world, and tonight your life is gonna, going to be demanded of you, and then what will you have? Because you haven't stored up and made yourself rich before God. So I think there's two things. One is... You're, you're trusting in that which is going to fail you. Secondly, you're making it an idol that you put before God, and that's extremely dangerous. Now, it's possible to have wealth. Yesterday, you had uh, the guy from uh, Papa John's on. Yeah. And uh, I think he's fairly well off, but uh, he's somebody, I think, from everything I know, is trying to be a godly man. So it's, it's not fair to correlate wealth with being ungodly, it's fair, to, it's fair to correlate. And I think that's what Jesus was getting at, that wealth is going to be a real struggle. And it's really easy to make it your God rather than the Lord God. Uh, Jesus also said that it is, you cannot serve two masters. You, you cannot serve God and money. And the issue that Bobby's pointing out is that people, and even I think Royce is kind of hidden towards this way too, People have a tendency to misuse and abuse things. Uh, you know, money is a tool. And but if we love money, then, as Bobby points out, we turn money into an idol. We begin to worship it. It gives us access to all the things we desire, etc. So money by itself is not the problem. But it can become a God if you fall in love with it and make it your God. And even what we put into money, the passage that you bring up where Jesus talks about how difficult it would be for a rich person to enter the kingdom. That's the point that he's making. It's not impossible, but it's extremely difficult because you're having to live every day turning yourself away from what your money can access. So unless you have a heart that is sold out for God, you know, the way God feels about himself, he is the God. He will not be number two on your yeah. list. If he's not number one, take me off the list. Uh, it's just going to be him and nothing else. Yeah. Go ahead. I have four slides uh, because you mentioned to us you wanted to talk a little bit about the Bible and money. Yeah. So I've got four slides we can go through real quick. Go ahead. I think provide a good yep. summary. So the first is uh, put serving God ahead of money. Trust God to provide. So a couple of passages here. No one, uh, Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So you've got to decide which is going to come first. And then uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money, mm -hmm. notice he says, he doesn't say money. It's the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. The second uh, principle uh, is be diligent with your work and finances. For example, the book of Proverbs teaches in Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste 
leads to poverty. So there's this strong emphasis in the book of Proverbs on, you know, work hard, earn money, because if you work hard and earn money and you are putting God first while you're doing it, you can do a lot of good for other people and for God's purposes. Number three, be content with the basics. Uh, the Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Again, it's the, the life that really matters is the life after this world. Like, prepare mm -hmm. for that. So don't focus on this world. It's going to go away. And then number four, be generous to support your church and the poor. So uh, again, 1 Timothy 6.18, command them, that's, that's really, it's, it's all of us, uh, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. So what I was slightly distracted as you guys were talking, I was trying to hunt down some notes I took from a sermon I watched uh, two or three weeks ago, and it, and it was about serving God and money, and it was about, the preacher was talking about the spirit of mammon. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I was looking for my specific notes because I wrote it down, I thought some notes in my computer, but I can't seem to find it. And he said the spirit of mammon is, I think it's about believing that money could replace God or, I don't have the, the exact, but, but it was, he, he, he was saying that they, <laughs> money is actually mammon, the spirit of mammon, Correct. and that you, you can fall into this belief that money could do what only God can do. Mm -hmm. Am I accurate in that? Yes, that's, that's the idea. That's what we're talking about, the idea of, of money becoming like an idol or like God. And it becomes a more tangible access, which is the the temptation that comes with that. So, for example, things that that we may pray about, if you're, as you said, financially humble, things that you may pray about. God, I need you to deliver. I need you to work. I need you to do uh, someone who is extremely wealthy. Well, I'll just buy the whole business. You know, I'll just do where that may not be aligned with God's will that you do. So, see, I'm now using the money as, hey, this can do whatever I want, but is it what God's will desires? So that's just an aspect of how we can take money and it can become, hey, I can do all of this with money. And that's just the access. What do we think about what money does to how we feel? You know, there's a lot of people that feel, oh, this person's this, that and the other because they have a lot of money. And now that person becomes almost a godlike figure because, hey, I have so much money. Money talks. Uh, money is powerful, et cetera. But the, the parable that Jesus gives and the point that, that, that Bobby brought up is that here's a man that's extremely wealthy. And when he considers his wealth, if we look at the text, he considers his wealth and he says, what shall I do? What am I going to do now? I'll just get more money. But at the end of the day, 
Money cannot replace love. I know people say, you know, money can buy happiness, but it cannot replace love. It cannot replace grace. It cannot replace God in any way. And when your life is on the line, when your relationships are on the line, when that which really matters is on the line, money means nothing. I know people who have been terminally ill with all of the 250 billion that uh, that Elon may have, it will do nothing about it. I've known people who have had relationships or marriages beyond the brink. If money could have solved that problem, but money is not the issue. So it's what we do. You know, we're supposed to love people and use things, but because of our tendency, we tend to love things and use people. And when we love things too much, whatever that thing may be, we make that thing our God. And then that distorts every other part of our life. Royce, I'm going to throw this back at you and then I want the ministers to respond. That is where my basic suspicion, skepticism of Elon Musk is just like, I don't think you can have that much money, that much wealth and be a good person. I, I really don't. I'm just because there's so many things I could give away and and to to, and just if I had that kind of money to kind of get I just I just unload most of it because I don't need it. Mm -hmm. I'm just sorry. I just don't need two hundred and fifty billion dollars. And that's I, I don't know. That just makes me. And look, I don't have a problem with wealthy people, but, uh, you know, because, look, there's a lot of people that would consider me wealthy. Mm-hmm. And and uh, but I can promise you this. I hate to even say this out loud, but I will not die wealthy. I will. People will be like, man, this dude was a fool with money. He just gave it away. Uh, <laughs> and I, I don't, Royce, I'm going to give you the to start the final words and then. Everybody can put a final touch on their thoughts on Elon Musk. Well, first, I want to say I just love this Tennessee Harmony section uh, segment. I got to get in here some more with with the pastors here. But um, I I want to add my favorite scripture in the Bible to to their, um, you know, their their word for the day is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Um, I do think it's possible to have great wealth and still be godly. Um, What I will say is, you know, let, let's a good litmus test is not to look at Elon Musk, the individual and his role in this scientism or technocracy. Let's look at the tenets of technocracy at a whole and where examples of his righteousness fall. Let's go straight to the heart of the issue. Abortion. Where is Elon Musk on abortion? Because abortion is a technology or a science that that is central, I think, to a globalist initiative and and to the current technocratic political social culture. There are 125,000 abortions a day around the world. 125,000. California today is trying to pass a bill on abortion that would legalize post-birth perinatal abortion up to 28 days. This is Satanism. So if Elon Musk wants to step into the breach and hold the line on an issue like abortion, then I have a better feeling about his overall uh, M.O. about going to Mars with some resemblance of morality. If he's not willing to have a position, a stern position about an issue like abortion, 
then I, my skepticism remains of his overall uh, uh, righteousness or, or morality. Bob, you got a final thought on a reaction or final thought on? Yeah, that? I'd like to talk to Royce Moore sometime about where where he thinks things are going, because he and I probably agree uh, when it comes to Elon Musk. I would sooner have him advocating for free speech than not. And I would sooner have him getting control of Twitter so that Christians can make the case for the things that we believe in than not. But I don't think that he's is going to turn around the culture. I think that there are some things that are more deep rooted, like the church and families that we've got to get to if we want to turn around the culture. Two quick things. I, I appreciate Royce's skepticism and it it even if Elon believed a lot of the things that I believe, I would suggest the skepticism remain regardless of who's up there because Elon uh, is a red blooded human person. So any person, we've got to keep them skeptical, put our faith in God. Uh, but Jason, when you mentioned about, you know, wealth and Elon Musk, man, go around the world, man. I, I've been to some places where, you know, just a couple of hundred dollars in my pocket. I'm Elon Musk to these individuals where poverty is. But that puts me in a perspective of man, even in this space that God has me, I can leave a great impact. You know, the money's a tool. Uh, and, you know, you consider yourself a good person. And, and so, yeah, people, Sometimes. yeah, people, <laughs> people with wealth can be good. Um, but but that wealth biblically, as we've talked about, can be such a distraction from our pursuit of God and his will. And so, yeah, I do consider myself a good person. Mm-hmm. But I do believe my wealth is the enemy of that good person. It's a it's and, a distraction. And, definitely. And and. You know what? I could be right or wrong about that, and mm-hmm. I'm. I think that God has been leading me to a better understanding of how to use my wealth as a purpose that glorifies Him and, and you know it improves things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I literally, we were sitting here talking. I was like, I wonder if Elon's tithing. I wish he was tithing on that two hundred fifty <laughs> billion dollars. You know? Do you know John Wesley, Christian leader? Yeah. Uh, 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 previous times, he used to tell people, he said, make as much as you can so you can give away as much as you can to help as many as you can. (laughs) Uh, Because we didn't start with a prayer, we'll end with a prayer. Guys, take us out of here. All right. God, we're just going to take the opportunity and pray about this show. We want to pray for Fearless. Uh, We pray that you'd protect the show from the evil one and that it would be a place where the ways of Jesus are spoken of clearly, convincingly, and winsomely. Father God, continuing in prayer, we're so thankful for the opportunity uh, to utilize this platform. Help us, Father, to use whatever tool you give us uh, for your praise, your glory, and to lead others back to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I should be hearing tomorrow, and that means we will see you tomorrow. Freedom came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seeds when we all wanna be free. We want freedom. 
just want, I wanna be, I just want. 